Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Tuesday, June the 13th, 2023. It is currently 3.09 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. I don't know if you've noticed this recently, but there's been a lot of debate, (laughs) a lot of strong emotions dealing with issues like homosexuality, Pride Month, LGBTQ+, um, anything like that, Target, Bud Light, uh, people uh, people have uh, definitely been extremely upset. And if you've watched social media, you've seen all of the fights and all of the arguments. And, and you know, I look, I think if you want a picture of what it means to pursue that of no profit, to pursue vanity, which we've talked about in our study of the book of Jeremiah, just go on social media and just watch the yelling and the arguing and the fighting. I mean, nobody's listening to anybody. Everyone just talks past one another. Usually the person who makes the original post, they just throw the original post and then everyone under it fights and argues with each other. And the original poster has already moved on. He's, you know, out somewhere having a a stake and he's not even paying attention anymore while everyone fights and argues and you just ruin your day or your week. I don't know when people are going to catch on that the whole social media game is just a game. You're being played, right? You're, you're just being played. You're being manipulated. Stop falling for it, right? Stop. Just stop. You think you're fighting some grand cause. All you're doing is posting tweets. All you're doing is posting a Facebook post. All you're, you're not, you're, you're not changing the world. You're not even changing anyone's mind. All you're doing is making social media company, companies rich. You're just the you're just the tool to help them. I, I don't. I wish people would just realize it. That I know that there's a part of you that thinks, no, I'm going to engage in these conversations and I'm going to take a stand for truth and and I'm going to make sure the Christian view is heard or the Republican view. All you're doing is just being manipulated and used so that they can make money off you right? You're no better off. You're worse off after spending three, four hours on social media and the company is better off because you, your, your engagement, your, and then, and it's just, stop it. Please. Could the whole world wake up? Everyone wants to talk about being woke. Can the whole world wake up and realize we've all been played by social media? Just, if, if you want to boycott something, if you want to take everyone, delete their social media accounts, just do so. Just do so. I, the, the, our Twitter account is, is mainly controlled by our social, by our, um, podcasting platform network. Uh, it, it, it's there to send out notifications when we post new content. So it's really, uh, it, it's it, our social media account is really controlled by our podcasting platform more than anything else. But, um, I just like don't engage. And because we, I can engage, I always have to be careful. If I go check everything, I'll look and, um, Okay, uh, I was, I'm getting another notification. When I look, I'll see it and I'll be like, oh man, I want to jump into that. I want to jump into that. I want to say something. But what am I going to accomplish? Same thing on Yahoo News. If you look at the Yahoo homepage, you know, there's all these news articles and then you click on it, you go down, there's comments. And I don't know how many times I find myself wanting to jump in those comments, but it's like, what am I accomplishing? What are you, it's just a waste of time. So um, I wish we could all wake up, but I say all of that to say, if you've been paying attention, there's been lots of arguments about pride, homosexuality, LGBTQ, Target, Bud Light, Garth Brooks has got into all of the controversy, oh, Chick-fil-A, the show, I mean, everything. It's just boycott, yell, scream, you know, Pride Month is going to destroy the world, like everything. So in the midst of all of that, in within that context, I come across the following headline. Leviticus 18.22 is a Christian hoax. Leviticus 18.22 is a Christian hoax. So you know what we need to do, right? Bible's out. 
Let's go look at Leviticus 18.22. I bet you know what it says, right? Leviticus 18.22. Thou shall not lie with mankind as with womankind. It is abomination. Thou shall not lie with mankind as with womankind. It is abomination. Leviticus 18.22. According to this article, it is a Christian hoax. Now, this article was written, I believe, back and published back in February. Of course, it's going to show up in June, obviously, right? So, I thought, I know I have discussed controversies surrounding Leviticus 18.22 in the past, so I'm probably not going to say anything new, anything, you know, very exciting, but I thought we would at least work through it, mainly just so that you know, and look, if you don't know this, there's all kinds of controversy around Leviticus 18.22. Let's just, just, if you don't know this, just know this. So whenever you get into an argument about homosexuality, I don't know if that's the verse you want to quote, right? I just, I'm just going to throw that out there. I may not quote Leviticus 18.22 because there is so much controversy. And whether Christians like this or not, sometimes non-Christians are much more knowledgeable of the textual issues surrounding a passage of scripture than Christians, which blows my mind how that happens. How can non-Christians be more familiar with the textual issues surrounding a passage of scripture than Christians? But I can tell you how it happens because pastors never want to deal with the textual issues from the pulpit. They just randomly quote a scripture. They won't go, well, you know, if for 2,000 years, nobody has agreed on this or this or this or this, or there's 17 different views. No, no. So you keep the people in the dark. You keep the people ignorant. And I've told, I've said it so many times, ignorance is not a good thing. So if you have an ignorant Christian, all right, and I'm saying ignorant is not, I'm not calling, I'm not saying that in a negative way. Ignorance is just a lack of information, Right. Okay, uh, I think my science teacher used to tell me in high school, ignorance can be fixed. Stupidity is for life or something along those lines, right? Okay, ignorance, it can be fixed. All you need is the information. Well, a lot of Christians, for some reason, pastors don't really go into a lot of the textual issues and the problems and the difficulties. Like, well, not everyone agrees with this. And it's translated all these different ways. And there's textual variants. And no, many Christians don't like that. They just, just give me the simple answer, right? But sometimes there's not a simple answer. So let me just make it clear. Here's how I always approach this. Just, I'll just kind of help you. Let's just say for argument's sake, right? We haven't even read the article, but let's just say for argument's sake, because I always like to listen to some, when someone takes an opposite side, I always try to agree with the opposite side first, take it to its logical conclusion and see if it holds together logically. If it falls apart logically, then I don't need to argue against the argument. I can just say your argument doesn't make sense logically. So here's what I would, okay, you're right. Leviticus 18.22, let's say it's a Christian hoax. Let's say it was a grand conspiracy to mistranslate this verse so that it condemned homosexuality and it's been used as a tool to hurt people. Let's say you're right. It's a horrible Christian hoax. It was a grand conspiracy. Let's say you are right. Here's the challenge I would put forth for anyone. If I go from Genesis to Revelation and skip Leviticus 18.22. When I'm done reading Revelation, would I conclude that I, I'm going to use myself as a guy, as a man, that I could go then engage in physical sexual relations with another man, that I could marry another man, and that would be okay biblically. I don't think any reasonable rational person would come to the conclusion from reading Genesis to Revelation, skipping Leviticus 18.22 and say, "Mm, yeah, I can sleep with other men. First, first and foremost, the Bible is clear that sex is supposed to be within marriage. And if I even look at a woman with lust, I'm guilty. So if that would mean if I look at another man with lust, I would be guilty. So already the Bible is restricting when you can have sex. And I don't think there's anything in the Bible that would tell you you can have sex with someone of the same sex. I think the Bible would restrict that. You just have to be honest. 
So I think even if I threw out Leviticus 18.22, I would have a hard time. And I don't think there's anywhere where the Bible would say that you can marry someone of the same sex. You would have a better chance of arguing that you could have 15 wives, 20 wives, 30 wives, 700 wives. You would have a better chance of using the Bible to argue you could have a couple of hundred concubines. You would have a better chance of arguing that to me than you would arguing that the Bible does not speak against homosexuality. To me, you could use the Bible to support polygamy far more than you could support homosexuality. It just, to me, there's just no way to get around that, right? I just think you could. And like, if you're, in other words, if you're going to use the Bible to try to argue for one of these, but over and over, it comes back to Leviticus 18.22, Leviticus 18.22. And it's almost the way it works is if we can prove Leviticus 18.22 is a, you know, a plot, a conspiracy, a hoax, then we've now proven that homosexuality is not condemned by scripture. But I would just like, I mean, the Bible seems to indicate no sex outside of marriage, only sex within marriage, sex with one person. And if I even look and lust, I'm guilty. That seems to be the biblical model. No sex before marriage, sex only in marriage with only your your spouse. That seems to be the biblical model. I mean, I mean, whether we like it, whether we even obey it, whether we agree with that seems to be the case. So I don't know how you could come along and say, hey, guess what? But here's my thing. If you can if you can show that homosexuality is allowed by scripture, then I think you throw out all the scriptures and premarital sex would have to be allowed. Adultery would have to be. You would just throw out everything like why? Why have any rules on sexuality? But. So my my way of approaching is if I take it to your logical conclusion that it's a hoax, I still end up at the same problem that the Bible seems to condemn homosexuality even without Leviticus 18.22. Even if I say, you're right, it's a hoax. What about the rest of scripture? Now you would have to argue that the whole Bible is a hoax. And if you argue the whole Bible is a hoax, then why are you even having an argument about what it says or doesn't say in regards to homosexuality? It just seems like uh, that that's an argument to nowhere. But Let's see. So here's what they say. Headline. Uh, This was written by Jonathan Poletti, P-O-L-E-T-T-I. It it was published, I believe, February the 24th. It doesn't have the year. Um, And, you know, we're we're just going to take a look at it and see. All right. Leviticus 18.22 is a Christian hoax. The religion made up its favorite verse. Now, okay, first of all, the religion made up its favorite verse. I don't think I've ever met a Christian anywhere who said Leviticus 18.22 is their favorite verse. I don't even think I've ever seen a church use Leviticus 18.22 as like their their key verse for their church. Uh, well, yeah. Oh, well, okay. <laughs> Good point. Someone said, well, doesn't that, doesn't that verse predate Christianity? Yes. Yeah. I mean, you. this would be when you say it's a Christian hoax, I think what they're going to say is the verse predates Christianity. Christianity took the verse and then made it say something it didn't originally say. I think that's the argument they're going to go. So when they say the religion made up its favorite verse, I think what they're going to say is originally it was written one way, Christianity translated it a different way. So therefore it's a made up verse by Christians. But I don't know of anyone who thinks it's their favorite verse. In fact, I I rarely see people even read Leviticus, much less say they have a favorite verse from Leviticus. I see very few churches actually working on the book of Leviticus in any meaningful way. But okay, here we go. For many Christians, here's the article. Everybody ready? Here we go. This should be enlightening. Maybe. For many Christians, I quote, I'm reading the article. For many Christians... It's the number one Bible verse. Now, where I want to meet these Christians who say, hey, what's your number one Bible verse? Leviticus 18.22. I mean, come on now. Like, I've got no, I've got no problem criticizing Christianity. Anyone who listens to this podcast, I got no problem criticizing my own Christian life and my own failures. But I don't know anybody walking around going, my favorite verse is Leviticus 18.22. That's just ridiculous. I mean, come on. I mean, you know, people quote all kinds, people quote things from Romans, the book of Psalms, John chapter three, verse 16. I mean, oh, come on. For many Christians, it's the number one Bible verse. All right, here we go. So for many Christians, it's the number, number one Bible verse. The sacred words 
that define the religion. Who whose religion is defined by Leviticus 18:22? This is just a complete misrepresentation. But Leviticus 18:22 has a problem you won't hear about in church. Now stop right there. First of all, that's a complete misrepresentation. Okay, that that a lot of that is a misrepresentation. I do agree. Now and and this is this now this is where I'm going to criticize Christianity. I do get sick and tired of articles written by possibly non-Christians or people hostile to Christianity say, you're never going to hear this in church. You're never going to hear this in church. You're never going to hear this in church. I'm sick and tired of hearing that. Church, wake up and cover the issues so that they can stop saying you're never going to hear about it in church. Look, you should hear about textual variants in church. You should hear about textual issues in church. You should hear about problems in translation in church. You should hear about the complexities and the difficulties of interpreting something in church. You should be struggling with these issues in church. It shouldn't be a special class on a Thursday night at 9 p.m. It should be Sunday morning right there from the pulpit. That's what you do it. You're like, well, visitors could get confused. Well, then they'll have to come back. All right. Because you, you don't, you just deal with whatever, whatever text you're in, you deal with whatever is there, no matter how convoluted, complicated and difficult it may be. You, and if you say, well, the people are confused, then you come back next Sunday, and you teach again and you, and you say, well, it may be above their level. Buy them a ladder. They can climb the ladder and get to it. And first of all, don't think your people aren't smart enough to get to it. But I'm tired of, of non-Christians or, or articles written at, at a hostile way to, towards Christianity constantly saying, you'll never hear about this in church. I'm sick and tired of that. Churches, stop giving people the ammunition to use against us. The people, anyone in your church, if they go to church and they're there week after week after week, they should be so equipped they cannot be tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. Isn't that what we're supposed to be doing? Maybe less fellowships, pizza parties, and nonsense, and more in-depth teaching. So when people see an article like this, like, what are you talking about? My church dealt with Leviticus 18.22 15 times. What are you talking about? We've covered that multiple times. We know it. Now, if you go to church and you never heard it, well, then that's a problem. If anyone in my church says we've never covered these issues, well, then that's a problem. Either one, they don't remember, or two, I don't know, they don't listen to a podcast associated with the church. Okay, but I I digress. All right, but here we go. So that just bothers me. Already that bothers me. First of all, I think there's a lot of misrepresentation. I don't know any Christians who think it's the number one Bible verse, and I definitely don't know any Christians who think Leviticus 18.22 define the religion. I mean, that's completely ridiculous. However, I do believe Leviticus 18.22 has a problem that you won't hear about in church because many churches never want to deal with the textual issues. I'm not saying all, but I say many. Now, the article continues. I've been going over a pile of papers by Bible scholars who say that this verse in the Hebrew text is very different from the English translations. Oh boy. So we got one of these situations like, it was mistranslated. It was wrongly translated. Now, when he says he has a paper, uh, a stack of, a pile of papers of Bible scholars now, he's going to list some of these, but I wonder if I could find a pile of papers from Bible scholars who are as equally qualified who would then call into question what he found. Because what I have seen is sometimes in these controversial situations, you can have a stack of papers put together by Bible scholars who give one position, and you can have a stack of paper equally high written by scholars arguing a different position. So, you always have to sometimes realize, and then what do you do? Well, if nobody can agree, sometimes that's a good sign that maybe we don't use that verse to prove our point and just realize there's something going on there and hope that maybe through constant looking and searching for manuscripts, they'll come across more manuscript evidence that would give us more insight to maybe exactly how the verse if there's any questions about its authenticity or the ori- or how it read originally, maybe more discoveries will lead to more insight because sometimes that does happen. All right, but all right, here we go. Then they have, I guess, in quotes, what, what the verse supposedly is. This is how they have it. And with a male, you shall not lie in the beds of a woman. That's how they quote it. Now remember, the King James 
quotes it this way. Right? King James quotes it this way. All right. Thou shall not lie with mankind as with a, as with womankind. It is an abomination. They have it this way. And with a male, you shall not lie in the beds of a woman. Okay. We'll, we'll see where they're going to go with this. I don't remember that Leviticus 18. I don't remember that Leviticus 18.22. I remember this one. So th- what they're saying is how it should be read is, and with a male, you shall not lie. You shall not lie the beds of a woman. Okay, not lie in. Let me read it exactly how they have it quoted here. And with a male, you shall not lie the beds of a woman. And then they say, I don't remember that Leviticus 18.22. I remember this one. You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. So they're saying instead of being translated, you should not lie with a male as with a woman, it should be translated, and with a male, you should not lie the beds of a woman. All right, that's, that's their claim. Underneath that, they have a picture here. It's got a rainbow above it. Uh, someone's got a rainbow colored hair. Um, I guess it's supposed to be possibly Jesus. They got these goggles on with a, I don't know what's their, their eyes are very blue. So I don't know, you know, exactly what the picture is supposed to emphasize, I guess, but okay. He's got kind of a shocked look on his face. All right. All right. Whatever. All right. Let's, let's continue. So they, they then have this kind of heading. I puzzle over this strange phrase. I read it again and again. And with a male, you shall not lie the beds of a woman. So they keep reading it over and over. This is the way they believe it should be read. And and with a male, you shall not lie the beds of a woman. Now, you could look up. Um, hang on. Let's just see here. Let's go to Leviticus 18. You can do what I'm doing right now. Just go to Google. Leviticus 18, just put 23, 22. Look for biblehub.com. If I can find it, biblehub.com. Here it is, biblehub.com. It gives me every, every English translation. So I'm just going to go through all the English, because they're saying that basically, I guess, I guess they're about to accuse every English Bible translation committee for getting it wrong. They're about to accuse all translation committees for getting it wrong. So let's go with the first one. New International Version. Do not have sexual relations with a man as one does with a woman. That is detestable. New Living Translation. Do not practice homosexuality. Having sex with another man as with a woman is a detestable sin. ESV. You shall not lie with a male as with a woman is an abomination. Berean Standard Bible. You must not lie with a man as with a woman. That is an abomination. King James. Thou shall not lie with mankind as with womankind. It is an abomination. New King James. You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. That is an abomination. New American Standard. You shall not sleep with a male as one sleeps with a female. It is an abomination. New American Standard 1995. You shall not lie with a male as one lies with a female. It is an abomination. New American Standard 1977. You shall not lie with a male as one lies with a female. It is an abomination. The Legacy Standard Bible. And you shall not lie with a male as one lies with a female. It is an abomination. Amplified Bible. You shall not lie intimately with a male as one lies with a female. It is repulsive. Christian Standard Bible. You're not to sleep with a man as with a woman. It is detestable. Holman Christian Standard Bible. You're not to sleep with a man as with a woman. It is detestable. American Standard Version. Thou shall not lie with mankind as with womankind. It is abomination. Aramaic Bible in plain English. And do not lie down with a male in the lying down of a woman because it is defiled. Brenton Septuagint translation, and thou shall not lie with a man as with a woman, for it is an abomination. Contemporary English version, it is disgusting for a man to have sex with another man. Dewey Reams Bible, thou shall not lie with mankind as with womankind, because it is an abomination. The English revised version, thou shall not lie with mankind as with womankind, it is an abomination. God's word translation, never have sexual intercourse with a man as with a woman, it is disgusting. Good news translation, 
No man is to have sexual relations with another man. God hates that. International standard version. You are not to have sexual relations with a male as, as you would with a woman. It's detestable. JPS Tanakh 1917. Thou shall not lie with a mankind as with womankind. It is an abomination. Literal standard version. And you do not lie with a male as one lies with a woman. It is, it is an abomination. Majority standard Bible. You must not lie with a man as with a woman. That is an abomination. I mean, I, don't, I can read all of these, but every single one of the English translations all have it very, almost the exact same way. There's no like wild variation. So your, so your initial claim, now remember their initial claim is, their initial claim is, if I can find it, their initial claim is that it should be translated. This is how they say it should be translated. And with a male, you shall not lie the beds of a woman. And so they're claiming that every, that Christianity came along and translated it, you shall not lie with a male as with a woman. But one of those is a Septuagint translation, meaning if it was, if that's how it is in the Septuagint, then that, that would like, someone look up the dates for the Septuagint. When was the Septuagint put together? When was the Septuagint translation done? Right? Like, let's, let's just look that up really quick. All right. So we may already find a problem here. Okay, when was the Septuagint written? Uh, it was written in Hebrew in Palestine around 1800 through 175 BC. Okay, um, let's see here. I've got here Septuagint here. I'm just looking at all of the dates for the Septuagint. Uh, the Septuagint... Um, it's the Greek Old Testament. I don't want what well, the other one said it a different way, but okay. I'm looking here. Where Where's the dates for the Septuagint? It's going to be BC. It's going to be before Christ. Yeah, all of these are BCE. All right. So just, just know the Septuagint's the Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures. Um, here we go. Here's Detroit uh, Baptist Theological Seminary. The origins of the Septuagint remain murky despite the evidence of a wide dissemination. And Hellen- Hellenistic world. Okay. Uh, it was, uh, uh, clues to its existence begin to emerge as early as the mid-second century BC. All right. So we know somewhere in BC, so before Christ, the Septuagint. So if the Septuagint translates Leviticus 18.22 in a way that says, uh, you shall not lie with a male as with a woman, well, then that would destroy the whole art. So all we have to do is to determine if the, if the Septuagint, which comes before, obviously, the New Testament, before Christianity comes on the scene. And if they're translating it the way it's in our Bible, then wouldn't you not already be destroying the entire argument of this article? All right, but let's go back to the article, right? Let's see what they're having to say, all right? So already, I think we, we, I mean, you can do a little bit more work on that, but find the date of the Septuagint. Look at everything about the Septuagint in Leviticus 18.22. We only saw one supposed translation of of the Septuagint in that list from BibleHub.com. You can find the Septuagint online. And how does it, how how did the Septuagint translate Leviticus 18.22? If it translates it the way that's, that's very similar to what's in your Bible or my Bible, then the argument's over. Christianity didn't exist it, uh, created. Christ, it wasn't a Christian hoax. It would have been a hoax by, I, I, are you going to blame the Septuagint? Who are you going to blame? So, all right, but we could be wrong on that. We could be wrong. I'm not an expert on the Septuagint. I'm just throwing that out there because one of those translations was from the Septuagint and clearly it translated it the way that I have. So he's already making an argument that every English translation is wrong. That's already a, that's a major claim, but let's see what he's going to say here. So back to Leviticus 18.22. The way he thinks it should be translated, I read it again and again. And with a male, you shall not lie the beds of a woman. And with a male, you shall not lie the beds of a woman. What does the beds of a woman mean? I thought I knew a little bit about the Bible, but I'm at a loss. The beds of a woman? Now, now, I'm just going to read it the way he's got it translated, so don't get offended. All right, here we go. Do gay guys get into that? I learn new things all the time. Now, he goes on to say, obviously, a little bit of sarcasm there. All right, now he continues. 
there is a huge body of scholarly literature about the verse's many mysteries. The scholar Renato Lings notes that, I quote, the original Hebrew wording of this uh, minuscule text is so arcane that the entire verse becomes almost untranslatable. So according to him, the original Hebrew wording is untranslatable. It cannot be translated. Now, when he says the original Hebrew, I'm assuming he's referring to the oldest Hebrew manuscripts we have because we don't have the original Leviticus. Obviously, we have copies of copies of copies, but okay, all right. For a literal translation, he tries this. Now, now all of this is being based off the scholar Renato, R-E-N-A-T-O, Ling's L-I-N-G-S. I don't know anything about this scholar. You can look up his credentials and everything about him, but he, this is he's basing everything on him currently. He says, for a literal translation, he tries this. With a male, you shall not lie the lyings of a woman. All right, so that's what they say is a literal translation. The Hebrew scholar, uh, uh, they, they have another Hebrew tr- a scholar here, offers this very literal translation. And with a male, not you will lie lyings of a woman. The lyings of is often thought to mean beds. Accepting this, the scholar Bruce Wells gives his literal translation. And with a male, you shall not lie on the beds of a woman. He adds, scholars have generally avoided this interpretation without saying exactly why. Leviticus 18.22 guides much of Christianity. Now, let me, once again, I'm going to stop here. I'm going to stop here. I know this is taking a while, but we're going to, we're trying to be as fair as we can be. I don't believe Leviticus 18.22 guides much of Christianity. Typically, the people I hear quote Leviticus 18.22, the people who may throw it on a Facebook post or Twitter, and they, they yell, they hold up a sign screaming at homosexuals at a pride march. Most of those people, when you engage them in any serious biblical theological discussion, what I have discovered, they're clueless. They don't, you're just, what are you talking about? They don't know, they don't seem to know anything about hermeneutics, nothing about church history. It's just, they sound insane to me. They rarely sound rational, right? That's my own feelings, right? Uh, Because it's just like, what are you doing? I don't think it, I put it this way, Leviticus 18.22 has never guided my Christianity and has had almost zero influence on my Christianity. I believe what's guided my Christianity as far as sexuality is concerned is that the Bible seems to indicate that my options for sex is with a woman in marriage, the end, and that anything else, I'm going to be in some kind of sin. That seems to be what the Bible seems to indicate. I don't ever see the Bible going, hey, 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 look, look, here's the deal. You can only have sex with a woman when you're married, but, 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 but I got good news for you. I got good news for you. You can sleep with all the men you want. You can have, you can engage in homosexuality all you want. Hey, hey, now if you're, if you're heterosexual, it's one woman marriage. If you're homosexual, hey, you can just have sex with, like, where and people and some homosexuals who may argue would be no 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 you've got to only find one person but do I have to get married like are, like are you going to go that premarital sex is wrong or are you going to throw that out too oh oh you're going to still hold to adultery yeah you're going to still hold to adultery because you don't want anyone cheating on you okay so like how does it work like because sometimes it's so weird like. The Bible doesn't condemn homosexuality. Okay, so are you going to go with everything else? Let's say you're right. The Bible doesn't condemn homosexuality. You're going to go with everything else the Bible condemns? Because you still are going to be condemned, but okay. All right, but all right, let's let's see where they're going to go. I just don't think it guides Christianity, but this is what they say. The familiar translation is the basis of endless arguments, splits, wars of every kind. Now, I would just be curious. Can you think of a war that started over Leviticus 18.22? Now, it may have caused endless arguments. I agree. Church splits. 
What hasn't? I mean, come on. If you think Leviticus 18.22 has caused church splits, give me a break. What doesn't cause a church split? The weather, carpet, singing, everything causes church splits. Okay, so who cares about that? But what wars do you think have been caused by Leviticus 18.22? I may be missing one. World War I, Leviticus 18.22. World War II, Civil War, Revolutionary War. Okay, I, obviously none of those wars. So do we have to go back to Protestant Catholic wars? Was it over Leviticus 18.22? Wars with Islam, you know, and the Crusades. Was that Leviticus 18.22? Or is he talking literal war? Is he using it figuratively? Is he just using hyperbole here? I, I just, I, I don't know, but okay. All right. What everyone knows about Christians, very often it's just the religion's negative view of homosexuality. Now, you know what? I do agree. Now, here I'm back into agreement with the author. Sadly, too many times the only thing that people know about Christians, especially in the month of June, is that Christians are not going to shop at Target. They're going to boycott anything where the gay flag, the pride flag is going to show up and they're going to yell and they're going to scream and they're going to tell that God hates homosexuality and they're going to burn in hell. And I, I, you know, I... I, I guess I guess God is only upset with one sin, you know. Uh, you, you know, it's like it's just so weird. Christians will run around, uh, yell and scream about Pride Month, but what about all the things that happen? Well, how about all the children who've been sexually abused inside churches? I I, I, don't, I did not see the same Christian outrage over report after report after report after report after report of children being abused in churches. Just go to the RoysReport.com and look at, just start scrolling through all the stories about this youth pastor, this pastor, this arrested for this or child pornography charges or this or that. Like, how about the that? Like, like I sometimes it's just, I I agree that sometimes I think the only thing people know about Christians is that we hate homosexuals and, and Christians will say, we don't hate them. Listen to some of the rhetoric. Okay. Let's say we greatly dislike them and we're Republicans. That seems to be sometimes the only thing that, and that's always a danger. All right, but let's continue. They don't even tell you that Leviticus 18.22 is presented is trans in translated Bibles is highly processed. So according to them, all of the translation committees for every English Bible in existence all got together and highly processed Leviticus 18.22. It's like processed food. It's not organic. It's not natural. It's processed. And every translation committee, every single one, is guilty of this accusation. All right, let's see what he says here. The Christian translation, and please, he keeps saying the Christian translation. He's got it in quotes. The quote unquote Christian translation is indeed, is barely even connected to the Hebrew original. Let me say it again. Find out what the Septuagint, what does the Septuagint do with Leviticus 18.22? I'm, I'm going to see, I'm just, now I'm getting irritated. All right. Okay, Septuagint translation of Leviticus. Because I I just want to get this out of the way. I just want to get this out of the way. All right. Um, Okay, well, see, now there's... Okay, uh, these are translations of Leviticus 18.22. This is from the Septuagint. Okay, where they're giving me all the English, all right? Um, All of these, if these are from, if these are from the Septuagint, it seems to indicate, um, Let me look here. I'm just looking here. Okay, hang on. And with a man, you shall not go to bed in a marriage bed. Way, abomination. I'm looking at a, I'm looking at an interlinear Greek language 
So if it's a Greek translation of Leviticus 18.22, I'm assuming it's, yeah, it's based on the Septuagint. So if we were just going to be like, it would be like, if I'm just going through the interlinear and with a man, you shall not go to bed in a marriage bed in the feminine way. An abomination for it is. That would seem to indicate that the Septuagint would go along with how everything else that we have. I would have to dig in a little bit more. I know that that's like just, you know, impromptu live on the air. By no means am I making a dogmatic assertion yet. The only reason I keep pushing the Septuagint, if the Septuagint's put together in B.C., that is before, quote unquote, Christianity. Well, then you can't say Christianity came along and changed it because the Septuagint was before it. So this, wouldn't the Septuagint be where the, the answer would lie, at least based on his argument? All right. So here we go. I'm going to go back with this again. So he has, once again, the quote unquote Christian translation indeed is barely even connected to the Hebrew original. Two words were just made up and inserted into the sentence to create another sentence. The Christian translation has as with, so the reader thinks two kinds of sex, a good kind and a bad kind are being compared. There is no as with in the Hebrew text as Justin, J-O-O-S-T-N, supposedly a scholar notes, this particle is absent. Uh, Susan Piggott is an evangelical professor of Hebrew at Logston Seminary. She translates Leviticus 18.22 this way. And with a male, you will not lay on the couches of beds of a woman. Looking at that in Leviticus 20.13, she writes, Neither verse actually says do not lie with a male as with a woman. Instead, both say you shall not lay with a male on the couches or beds of a woman. So they're really arguing that this is basically a prohibition. Hey, you cannot lay with another guy on the couches or beds of a woman. If it's a, if that couch belongs to a woman, if that bed belongs to a woman, hey guys, you can't go lay down in it. That that seemingly, what, what, now they're going to try to explain what it means, but that seems to be their argument. Now they keep arguing that it was the Christian, the Christian translation, the Christian translation. I'm going to keep telling you, go figure out what it says in the Septuagint, because that would be a translation before Christianity. And if the Septuagint translates Leviticus 18.22 as clearly seemingly to condemn a man having sex with a man, then your argument is mute. Like we've just, we've already disproven the entire article, right? That, That would be my thinking. Let's see what they have to say. So what does this mean? Um, and so then they, they quote, uh, this, uh, her name is P I G O T T. Uh, I'm going to, I'm, I'm saying Piggott. I don't know if I'm saying it correctly. It's a name. So who knows? Maybe Pijot. I don't know, but here we go. Well, first it means that translators have taken great liberties in smoothing out these verses. So if the first thing this supposedly means is that translators, I guess, supposedly Christian translators have been involved in some grand conspiracy to make this say something it hasn't. Second, she notes the verse is layered in a context of idolatry. So she thinks maybe that was the subject. One thing Christians never understood about the Bible is that a temple is called a bed. And Isaiah 57, 7 through 9, we see a bed on a mountaintop. They're not taking a nap. They're performing sacrifices. Hey, we got to do some work, right? Come on, come on, come on. Where, where, where's, where's all of my students jumping into the chat? Where's all my students helping me out here today? Well, come on, guys, where are you at? All right, let's go to let's go to Isaiah fifty-seven. All right, here we go. Let's go to Isaiah fifty-seven. All right, I'm I'm more than willing to consider. I the only thing I would say to the person writing this article, the, the fact that you have not acknowledged how the Septuagint translates it. Is, is tells me you're not, you look, you're, you're that either you don't understand the Septuagint and when it came into being, or you're just purposely overlooking it. I don't know which. I can't assign motive, but it seems like if you're going to deal with this subject, you would have to deal with, well, there was a translation before Christianity came onto the scene called the Septuagint, which was the Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures, and they translated it this way. But all right. Let's go to Isaiah 57. 
So they're, they, they're going to go from Isaiah 57. And like, oh, it has the word bed. Now, bed does not always mean a bed. Bed means a, a temple. So they quote Isaiah 57, 7 through 9. Here we go. Oh, well. Okay, now here we go. Isaiah 57, 7. They may be onto something. We may have to do some work on this. Upon a lofty, Isaiah 57, 7. Upon a lofty and high mountain hast thou set up thy bed, even thither wentest thou up to offer sacrifice. Behind the doors also and the post hast thou set up thy remembrance, for thou hast discovered thyself to another. Thou, I'm sorry. Thou, no, thou hast discovered thyself to another than me and are gone up. Thou hast enlarged thy bed and made thee a covenant with them. Thou lovest their bed where thou sawest it. They're making an argument that the word bed there is referring to a temple. So therefore, then they're going to take that, go back to Leviticus and say, well, the bed is a temple. All right. I'm more than willing to consider the possibilities. All right. So here's what they're saying. So the bed here was a place for offering sacrifices, like a, 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 um, a temple. Now you, you, can, you can go work on Isaiah 57, 7 through 9 and see what you can find. Right? We need to look up commentaries. We can work on that. Right? We, can, we can make that a priority and see if we can work on that here. We may not be able to finish it now, but we can, we can you know, we definitely won't be able to finish it now. We're already at 45 minutes, but we can definitely come back to it. Right? So someone remember Isaiah 57, 7 through 9. Here we go. Interestingly, or interestingly, I should say, Jews don't tend to read it as concerning homosexuality. That's a surprising fact I learned in David Brodsky's 2009 paper, Sex and the Talmud, How to Understand Leviticus 18 and 20. As he explains, the rabbis had a range of theories about the, about what Leviticus 18.22 meant, especially giving the lyings of being, lyings of being plural. To be plural means there's at least two of something, but two of what? Bodily orifices in the area of the grow, growing capable of having a male, I'm not trying to be too graphic here. In other words, um, is he saying that lying's of is basically speaking of multiple body parts that are capable of engaging in physical relations? There we go. I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing this. All right, here we go. If that's what God has in mind, then there's a mystery. The verse wouldn't be about two males since such a wealth of orifices is not found on a man. All right. One woman... Um, it's on women, it's another story, as Brusky explains. The rabbis interpreted the plural lyings of women to mean that when a man has physical relations with a woman who is bi- biblically prohibited to him, both sexual relations of, how can I say this? Um, How can I say? There's no way to say this nicely. All right. What they're arguing is that if a woman who is biblically prohibited to him, like if a man has relations with a woman who is biblically prohibited to him for whatever reason, and he has relations with her more than just one way, that's the the nicest way I can say this, then then uh, each carries the same penalty. So if he has, hey, you can't have relations with this woman, but he has relations one way with her. Then he has relations with her a second way. Both ways would carry the same penalty. That is how they're trying to interpret this. I can't be more graphic, but uh, yeah, okay. Uh, If you need a... uh, if I can give you a link to this article, and you should be able to read it. If anybody needs a link to the article, you can email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. I'll be more than happy to send you the link. Um, this is at medium.com, which I pay for a subscription so I can read all the articles. But wow, I uh, yeah. Okay, so for Jewish rabbis, Leviticus 18.22 ended up prohibiting a, a certain kind of a, a sex, let's put it that way, with women. Right? So you can't have physical relations with a woman in a certain way. Not, not in the, this is prohibiting physical relations with a woman in a different way. That's all how, that's the best way I can put it. All right. That's the best way I can put this. Right. Yeah. Doing theology podcasts and you have to try to be a little bit more careful, but I think you're getting the idea. All right. Or 
Here we go. Maybe it means a lot of other things. A paper in 2022 by Mark Preston Stone assesses the academic research on Leviticus 18, 22. There are, he says, 21 major approaches to the verse, which includes same-sex eroticism, homosexuality, gender confusion, male acting as a female, improper mixture of defiling substances, which would, I I definitely cannot go into graphic detail about that one, Uh, male same-sex intercourse, uh, social humiliation, a male treated as a female, failure to ensure procreation, meaning that the person goes through the the physical act but does something to avoid procreation, Um, physical relations between Israelite men and the promised land, uh, improper placement. Oh, once again, I, I can't go can't go into much detail on that one. Unrestrained uh, bisexuality, male male rape, sexual uh, intercourse with intersex persons, idolatry, uh, male same sex incest, fear of demons, male cult prostitution, ambiguous paternity from male male female relations, male male female relations. Okay. I, I don't even know where some of this stuff would even, I'm like, I don't even know how you could read Leviticus 18.22, even if you read it the way they read it and come up with those possible interpretations. Those things are like, I can't even go from some of these things. All right. Oh, right. Okay. So, all right, here we go. We got just two sections left. Uh, how is Leviticus 18.22 to be punished? That's another problem the verse poses. The offense is a capital crime. God calls for violators to be executed. Christians tend to do a rewrite on the fly, shifting the punishment into insults and exclusions. Okay, well, wait a minute. First, anyone who knows anything about Christianity understands that Leviticus and many of the Old Testament books, you have laws that are civil laws being handed down to Israel. So within their civil government being operated under basically a theocracy, there were, there were death penalty. The death penalty was assigned to many sins and crimes. The reason as Christians, we no longer carry that out is we believe those civil laws were for Israel and the New Testament does not call Christians to establish those same civil laws. It's, it seems Christians are just like render unto Caesar what is Caesar. Our job is to preach the gospel, to teaching people, baptizing and teaching them to obey. There's no call for us to establish a theocracy, no, no rules to even call us to establish any kind of trying to make sure Christians obey these rules. These are the law that was given to Israel in a civil way. I, Anyone who's been around Christianity or even taken a freshman course in Bible will know this. So, I mean, come on, don't say whatever. Okay, so what what about rape victims? In a 1994 paper, uh, Saul M. O-L-Y-A-N notes and reads Leviticus 18.22 to ban sex acts, coerced and those voluntary. But the reality is that Christians have no answers. They didn't know what Leviticus 18.22 meant. They mistranslated it. They mistranslated a very hazy verse in the Bible whose meaning also is, isn't known to this day. Once again, it, they keep blaming Christians, 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 Christians. How about the Septuagint? Now, maybe someone who knows more about the Septuagint will be like, no, 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 the Septuagint doesn't translate it. It translates it in a very vague way. So nobody knows what the Septuagint is saying. I could be wrong. I don't, I'm, 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 it's hard on the air to sit there and start doing an in-depth study of the, of the Septuagint. We will return to it, but okay. Um, they go on to say, um, with that mistranslation, Christians created a religion that required nothing of them. They didn't have to be helpful, wise, or kind. What are you talking about? They only had to be straight. Which Christian out there thinks all we have to do as Christians is be straight? This is complete misrepresentation. This is complete no. All right. And then it says, and well, then they go on and add some more here. And I'll, and I'll challenge you to go to medium.com and read the rest. Uh, and if you can't find it, email me newsif at yahoo.com. I'll send you the link so you can read the rest of the article. I'll just read the, the last sentence. 
And, and, and you'll really get where they're going if you read the rest of it. But they simply say, Christians made it all up. Now, Christians made it all up. Anything in the Bible that seems to condemn homosexuality, Christians made it up. Christians made it up. Yeah, I want you to go. I, I challenge you, please email me newsif at yahoo.com. I want you to go read the rest of the article for yourself. I am begging you to go read it for the rest of yourself. I want you to see how they deal with the last part. And I want you to look at, I want you to read some of that stuff that I had to try to change up to see how graphic they get. But the name of the article is Leviticus 1822 is a Christian hoax. It's written by Jonathan Paletti. It was published February the 24th. Please go look at it for yourself because I want you to see the attempts they have to try to get around it. So here's how we'll summarize. Number one, even, well, according to him, nowhere in the Bible. So I would argue, let's take all, even if you take the controversial passages that supposedly some people say are about homosexuality, even if you remove them and say they're not about homosexuality, what would you, what would still be the sexual morality given to you by the Bible? Wouldn't it still be sex is for marriage with one person? And would it not point obviously to sex with a woman? I don't know how you would, or a, you know, a woman with a man, a man with a woman, you get the idea. I'm speaking for, as a, from a male perspective, right? So I don't know how you could get around that. Like, I don't know if you, they're like, oh, well, that verse is not about homosexuality. So where in the Bible would you still find something to support the homosexual relationship? And even if you say it supports the homosexual relationship, it would have to be within marriage. And there's no way you're going to find in the Bible anything that says two people of the same sex should get married. So you can't use, you can't, I don't even know why they would try to go to these links to try to somehow say the Bible doesn't really condemn it because I, it just makes no sense why you would go to those links. And and the best thing they had going there is saying, well, wait a minute, bad could actually be a temple or idolatry. All right. So then, I mean, they, they were going somewhere with that, but they didn't. Then he immediately just jumped into all this bizarre stuff that has no connection to the text in any way, shape or form. Just ridiculous stuff. But if we read it that way, it would be this way. Uh, Thou shall not lie with mankind as with womankind. So thou shall, a man shall not lie with a man in committing idolatry. I guess that's what it would be. A, A man and a man should not commit idolatry. Two men together should, two men should not get together and go commit idolatry. I guess that's what you could possibly, if you, I don't know where exactly how that would work, but okay. Um, maybe that would be better than some of the other stuff they come up there with. Some of the other stuff they come up with is in, like, put it this way. If you're going to, well, I think what they're trying to do is just say, nobody knows. So he's going to throw out every crazy option that's ever been offered in history just to try to say, nobody knows, but I'm saying, okay, fine. Say, nobody knows. What would, even if you remove every passage that would even possibly condemn homosexuality and you say, okay, now guys, all of these verses don't condemn homosexuality. Now, you ready? Go. Now, build what the Bible would give as a sexual system, a moral system on sexuality. Go. And, but remember, these verses don't condemn homosexuality. I think you would still be left. Again, you would have a better chance of arguing for polygamy. You'd have a better chance of arguing for concubines. You would have a better chance of arguing for that than arguing for homosexuality. But you, you, you see what you, you can. I think the, I think the real issue is, so I think one, we could still build a sexual, a, a moral sexual, a, a, a sexual morality, a sexual understanding, a moral understanding of sexuality from the Bible without any passage condemning homosexuality that would still clearly not seem to allow homosexuality. Right. That, that's what I'm saying. Number two, he keeps saying it's a Christian issue. I would say it's a Septuagint issue, which would predate Christianity. So how does the Septuagint translate Leviticus 18.22? But we do need to be aware that the next time you get into some argument with someone, I don't know if I would quote Leviticus 18.22. just because there's so much out there. But 
if someone argues against Leviticus 18.22, I would hold their feet in a sense to the fire saying, wait, 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 wait. If you're going to start getting into Bible translations and textual issues, let's see if you really know what you're talking about. This is a complete misrepresentation to blame it on Christianity because if the Septuagint has it that way, then it would not be the Christians who did it, right? If you're, if you're going to start with the date, you know, of, of, of Christianity. Much more I could say, but I think we worked through that relatively good. Uh, we took 59 minutes to do so. So let's wrap this up quickly before we get to the hour mark. All right, you can email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Theology Central Podcast. Everyone have a great day. God bless.